Before I begin this, you know, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews um, to make it your ambition to live at peace with all men. It is never our responsibility as believers to bring division at any place at any time. We are the healing agent of heaven in the earth. Can you say amen to that? So it is very important for us to have a heart of harmony. Amen. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going today. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. We, we, we will begin the series uh, today entitled Oneness. And if you did not see Wednesday night's uh, teaching on relationship, I encourage you to go back and watch that. And then this Wednesday is who? Bishop Gary McIntosh and Debbie McIntosh. Thank you, Josh. On the Art of Communication. And then we'll have Joe and Yolanda Morgan. We'll have Clint and Kendall Brown. So it's just going to be a great week of relationship realities throughout this month on Wednesday. And on Sundays, we're speaking on oneness. Say that word. I was going to subtitle this message. If I were to subtitle it, it would be called, We Are About to Have a Moment. And look at two or three people around you and just tell them, We Are About to Have a Moment. Yes, Acts chapter 2. Verse number one, we all understand that this is the initiation of what we refer to as the church of Jesus Christ. This is how the church was born. Acts chapter two, verse one, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. I'm going to read that one more time with emphasis. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and set upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance father as I preach today I ask you to Please use me to speak to the people's spirit today, to encourage them today. I pray that as I preach, generational curses will be broken and things that are not holy will be removed. Let the anointing supersede anything that happens in this building. And please help us to be careful to be sure that Jesus is magnified because you said Jesus if you be lifted up, you would draw all men unto you. So we purpose and decide. We resolve in our hearts today with galvanized conviction to lift you up. And we ask you to do your part. Draw all men to you in Jesus' name. Everyone shout praise the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, guys. I got to thank you. Amen. God is good. Um, I have a football in here somewhere. And before we... You were about to throw it, weren't you? Yeah, and I saw you. I saw that posture. There's going to be a football game today, and I don't think I've ever seen uh, at any point in history where there's so much controversy surrounding a football game. Um, it's interesting to me. I don't know if you guys were raised like I was raised, but we played football in the backyard. And when we played football in the backyard, everyone in the neighborhood would come over to play football. And uh, if it was too muddy in the backyard and messed daddy's yard up, then we would play on the blacktop out in the street. And very easy, not, well, we didn't play tackle on asphalt. Some of you tough guys did, but we actually played, when we played on the asphalt, we actually played touch. <laughs> but nonetheless, we loved playing football. It was just so enjoyable to us. And at no other time did it bring the kids together in the subdivision for just a really good time. Now, as you all know, it could get very physical at times. But football seemed to be something that would draw us together, you know, something that we could enjoy. And I just find it very unique and very conspicuous that now the very thing that used to draw us together and, you know, something we could enjoy 
has now become such a subject of controversy. And um, everyone has their opinion about the Super Bowl today, and, and you, you have a right to your opinion. I'm, I'm actually wearing a college football jersey. Praise the Lord. And you can put in that whatever you want to put in it. But uh, I love football. I just absolutely love football. Always have loved football because I just loved teamwork and what that represents. And it's always a bummer when you have somebody on the team that don't operate with the team. Right? Now, we have one of the Oklahoma Sooners' most renowned quarterbacks in the building today. Right? We're, and we're thankful for what he represents and the integrity that he carries in our state, not just in our state, but, but also in our nation. It's no secret that J.C. Watts is here. If he's in town, he's in church. His wife, she's in town, she's in church. And we love and we appreciate them. And he can tell you a lot better than I can because he was just a little bit better at quarterbacking than me. Not much. But he would, tell, he, he would tell you that the key to a completed pass is, number one, now listen to me carefully, the receiver has to run the route. You have to run the route. And the quarterback is trusting that you will run the route. Are you all with me? The second key to a completed pass is what I call the spot. Great quarterbacks throw to a spot, right? And great receivers run to a spot. Am I right about that so far, JC? Pretty close. If I say something wrong, just stand up and just say, that is wrong, Pastor Rick. Because <laughs> I'd be glad for you to talk about this much better than I could, but I do believe that a receiver has to run the route. I do believe that a quarterback throws to a spot. I do believe that a receiver knows to run to that spot. And the third thing and probably the most important thing is timing. Timing is crucial because the quarterback learns the speed of the receiver. And the receiver understands the velocity of a pass coming from a quarterback to that spot. The most important place is that you are at, or the most important thing is that you are at the right place at the right time. So I said all that to say in our text, the disciples could have missed the most important event in church history. If they were not at the right place, at the right time, they would not be able to receive what God was trying to deposit. Are y'all with me right there? It's no secret that the emphasis in Acts chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 is on one word, and the word is one. The Bible says, with one accord, in one place. The result of with one and in one is suddenly. I'll say it again. The result of with one and in one was suddenly. The idea that there are some opportunities you will never enjoy until you embrace the power of being with one and in one is absolutely true. I'll say it again. There are opportunities that you could miss if you refuse to be with one and in one. There are things that happen corporately that you could miss out on simply because you are more into individualism than you are the team. The Bible doesn't say one of them 
received the Holy Ghost. The Bible says the whole team received the Holy Ghost. Now, this football game today, never mind. Let me say it another way. The coaches of these two teams have prepared their teams to think as one. They have preached the message of team to this day today. Together, everyone accomplishes more. Team. Let's say it. Together, everyone accomplishes more. What is the first word? Together. Together. Right. These coaches know that if their team will execute as one, that it will ultimately create an opportunity for victory. If they'll just operate as a team and not look out for themselves, at some point that consistency will create an opportunity for victory. Oneness. Let's talk about it for a moment. Oneness is a theme throughout Scripture. When God created man, he only created one. Then he said to that one, if you will partner yourself with the other that I make out of you, you too shall become The emphasis of God from the beginning was oneness. As a matter of fact, he's going to tell his children in the book of Deuteronomy, Behold, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. And what does he say after that? There is none beside him. The God you serve is not schizophrenic. Um, God is so uniquely determined about the thought of oneness that we find him in the flesh praying, make them one. As we are one in John chapter 17. Now many people spend their whole theological life trying to decipher between Trinity and oneness. You've heard the story of the egg. There's the shell. There's the white. There's the yolk. Is it three or is it one? It's an egg. So is the Father God? Yes, he is. Is the Son God? Yes, he is. Is the Holy Spirit God? Yes, he is. And we have spent, since Jesus left the cross, arguing over something that is very trite. Because if he's one or if he's three, it's not going to save anybody. And here we go with differences and divisions. So I decided a long time ago when I started pastoring, when I baptize people, I'm going to get everybody. You going down in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus. That way you've shown up baptized. <laughs> I was reminded of that little kid. They found him down at the river behind the church house. And he had a bunch of chickens. And he picked them chickens up and he looked at that chicken. And he would say, in the name of the Father, 
Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then the whole you go. He thought that's what the preacher was saying. We may have a baptism service after church today, and some of y'all need to be baptized in the name of the whole you go. Oneness, by definition, is the fact of being whole, though comprised of two or more parts. Oneness is the fact or the truth of being whole, though you are comprised of two or more parts. Oneness is synonymous, therefore, with wholeness. If God was not oneness, he would not be wholeness. So you can't argue with the oneness of God because if you argue with the oneness of God, you're saying he's a fragmented God. And he's not fragmented. Egg. So I'm thinking in relationships. The Lord said the two shall become one. You've heard me say this before. Humor me for a moment. Two half people does not make a whole person. It is unfair to bring your fragmentation into a relationship and expect it to have integration or integer, wholeness. It is unfair to bring broken pieces to a whole person and expect to have successful relationship. Before, single people, before you get married, be sure you're, you're baked good, you know, that the cake is done. <laughs> be sure you mixed up right. Be sure your life is not all over the map. And then you think by getting married, everything's going to change. Marriage has never changed anyone. It don't change who you are. Preaching good. You have nothing to offer the whole of marriage or relationship if you are not whole yourself. All right, I'm going to teach a little bit, then we preach a little bit. So Paul writes the church at Thessalonica, and he says these words in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Say that word, holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body. Uh-oh. You are three. I'll just leave it there. Be preserved blameless unto the coming of Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. Wholeness without fragmentation. Wholeness. Put together properly. Wholeness. Free from deformity. Wholeness. To be whole spiritually, soulfully, and mentally. To be sound mentally, spiritually, and soulfully. Many people have rode the wagon of spiritual renewal and forgotten the importance, they have forgotten the importance of their soul. Many people do not even take the time to understand the difference in soul and spirit. We've taught you to be spiritual, but we've not taught you to take care of your soul. If the soul was not important, then why would David say, restore my soul? 
I learned something from a bishop that had a lot of influence in my life growing up a long time ago, and I still do it to this day. The first thing I do when my head hits the pillow is I pray, God, restore my soul. Because all day long, I am giving parts of my soul away. And if I lay down and don't get my soul back, then the next morning, I'm going to wake up with soul everywhere, but where it's supposed to be. You are responsible to take care of your soul. According to Hebrews 4, the soul and spirit are connected, but they're separate. I say it like this, your soul is the biggest part of you that relates to life and relates to other people. That's your soul. Your soul is the biggest part of you that relates to life and to other people. Your spirit is the biggest part of you that relates to God and eternity. Your soul is continually going this way. Your spirit is continually going this way. You don't have spiritual di disagreements with people. You have soulful disagreements with people. Your spirit is resolved when you've been born again to be like God. Your soul is trying to figure it out. Your soul oftentimes mediates between your body and your spirit because your soul knows what you're supposed to have. That's why you tend to disagree with people at times, even your own spouse. Hmm. Your soul carries your purpose. It's the seat of your emotions. But your spirit drives that purpose. The question is, what voice have you learned to listen to? If you listen to your soul all the time, you'll be an emotional wreck. That's why Paul said, my spirit makes intercession for me with groanings that cannot be uttered. So if you find me in an emotional mess, you're about to find me in a spiritual position because I'm going to start praying in the spirit until the spirit overrides the soul. Some of you run by your soul and you don't run by your spirit and you need to learn to differentiate between being soul-driven and spirit-driven. Hmm. Woo! So we can stand up here and preach spiritual to you all day. But until we get you whole, you cannot wholly enjoy an abundant life. You say, prove it, Pastor Rick. John chapter 5, Jesus finds a man that is sitting by a pool. He is crippled for 38 years. And he says to Jesus, listen to it, every time the water is stirred, no man will help me in. He's repeating the words of David in Psalm 142. Listen what David said. He said, I looked to my right and no man cared for my soul. But when he fell, he didn't say help my soul. He said, restore my spirit. Take not your spirit from me. The man at the pool is saying every time the water is stirred, I get an opportunity, no man will help me. Because he was looking for soul help and not spiritual help. So Jesus did not say, do you want to be healed? He said, do you want to be whole? Because if you're whole, you are responsible now for your well-being. I can heal you and you can go right back to sitting by that pool. Because you are used and you are familiar to hanging out with people who have the same defects in their life that you have in yours. That's why he said when he made him whole, take up your bed and walk. Don't leave nothing behind you that will remind you of where you came from. I'm convinced of this. The church has done a poor job at dealing with people's emotions. We make you emotional. We make you scream, we make you shout, we make you clap, we make you run. But we never get into your soul and tell you you can be as spiritual as you want to in this building. But if you go home and get back in your soul, you're going to deal with stuff this way instead of this way. And you're going to always be walking in a circle and never along the line. I wish I had somebody that could hear me today. Look at someone and ask them, do you want to be made whole? 
So Paul writes the church and he says, I pray God sanctify you spirit, soul, and body. I ain't going to get on that body thing. Because when you wear white, it shows how much overweight you really are. But I got excuses. I got excuses, see. Everybody using COVID for an excuse for everything, right? That's not my excuse. My excuse is eight pounds and two ounces. Little River Ricky. All he does is eat. And when he eats, he makes me hungry. I just want cereal. And so my appetite is going, sanctify yourself. Body, soul, and spirit. Did that help any of you? Listen to me. God cares about not just your spirit. He cares about your emotions. He cares about your soul. I'm convinced of this, that you can get in a place with God where you're praying, restore my soul to the point that you're not having any more nervous breakdowns. Anxiety attacks are not visiting you anymore. Panic disorders don't show up. You don't have to run to Prozac for help. You can run to Pro-Holy Spirit to deliver you. I'm, I'm just telling you from experience. I'm telling you from experience. I had to learn what my soul was. I never studied my soul. I just didn't care. I just lived. And then one day I got a revelation. There's three parts to me. There's body, soul, and spirit. When I started taking care of my soul, my life started getting stable. There was an equilibrium that came into my life. This stuff didn't knock me off course so easy. I'll just leave it there with you. Oneness. The Bible says they were with one, in one. They were in one accord. The meaning is they were in agreement. Agreement and accord, listen to Pastor Rick carefully, is when we forsake our agenda for the sake of agreement in the room. Say that again, Pastor Rick. Okay. Accord, agreement. It's when we forsake our agenda for the sake of agreement in the room. When I was driving here today, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said there's too much conflict and division and not enough concentration on common denominator. I'll say it again. There's too much emphasis on conflict and division and not enough emphasis on common denominator. The common denominator in this room is Jesus Christ. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But somehow people have turned the church into a political palladium. The church is not a place for you to make your political statement. Are you understanding what I'm saying to you? In other words, you, we've got to get to a place where Jesus is the common denominator and Jesus is the emphasis. So when you come in here parading your agenda, you are inadvertently causing confusion and division among the body of Christ and there's no place in here for you to stand up and start screaming your political stance. If you preach Jesus, all the principles, all the doctrines have to line up with him. Are y'all hearing, hearing me today? It's just, I got people mad at me because I don't stand up here every Sunday and preach politics from the pulpit. Man, if you want politics, get on Facebook. If you want to know what people are thinking, it's pretty clear. But don't bring it in here. You know, don't bring, don't bring your stance in here. Don't, don't, don't do that. 
unless it's glorifying Jesus Christ. And if it is, bring it on. If what you're doing is glorifying Jesus Christ, bring it on. It's not what I want for me, but it's what he wants for us. If he does what he wants for us, it is impossible for me to miss what he wants for me. That's probably the most powerful thing I'll say all day. If he does what he wants for us, it is impossible for me to miss what he wants for me. God, forgive us. Just forgive us for bringing anger into your sanctuary, bringing fights and quarrels into a holy place. Please forgive us for that, Lord. I ask you as the pastor of Quest Church, forgive us for bringing our flags into your sanctuary. Help us to lay down our agendas and pick up heaven's agenda which is the power of agreement in Jesus' name. Being in one accord is the recognition that I function at optimum levels when I am connected to the right place. Say that again, Pastor Rick. Being in one accord is the recognition that I function at optimum levels when I am connected to the right place. That's wordy, so I'm going to say it one last time. Being in one accord is the recognition that I function at optimum levels when I am connected to the right place. Paul wrote to church at Corinth. I'm going to read it to you from the Message Bible because I thought it was super powerful. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. You can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. I would say we all said goodbye to our whatever that's not of God life. We each used, used to independently call our own shots. But then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. This is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. Each of us is now a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels we once used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew, Greek, slave, free, Democrat, Republican are no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less significant. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If the foot said, I'm not elegant like hand, embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to this body, would that make it so? If the ear said, I am not beautiful like the eye, transparent and expressive, I don't deserve a place on the head, would you want to remove it from your body? If the body was all an eye, how could we hear? If we were all an ear, how could we smell? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. most difficult thing for a church is to function in unity. It's the most difficult thing. You can say you are in unity, but when you represent your own agenda, you have violated the principle of agreement. When the body functions in unity, say this with me, anything can happen. 
What does unity create? It creates opportunity. Unity creates opportunity. Psalm 133, how wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along, dwell together in unity. It's like costly anointing oil flowing down the head and the beard, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his robes. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where God commands the blessing and he ordains eternal life. Many of us want an opportunity in life. We want God to do something great, but you were such an individual that you do not understand the greater plan of God for your life, that you would perfectly fit in a family that would allow you to function at optimum levels in your purpose. Don't fight that. Employ that and enjoy that. Don't resist that like I don't fit if they don't agree. Agree with what? We all agree that Jesus is Lord. We all agree on the doctrine of the blood of Christ. We all agree on the doctrine of resurrection. We all agree on all of these things. Find the strength of agreement and walk in that and quit feeling like you are pressed. God is good. Amen. I'm almost done. Oneness. One accord. One moment. Say it, one moment. How many of you know that one text can set you off? No? You, know, you can get one text. You've had a thousand texts all day, and they were just awesome. And then that one come. Or you make the mistake of scrolling. Can't scroll. Don't scroll. And they, that one post changes your whole attitude. Or you can do like me. Find an article of an ABC news station running a whole segment of their newscast on me saying I'm not me. ABC News. I'm me. I don't live in Peru. I don't use pictures to scam people. I'm right here. Rick Hawkins lives in Blanchard, Oklahoma. 73010. ABC. I'm Rick. And you read that and you go, you're just having a great day. You just enjoyed your baby, you just enjoyed your wife, and someone sends you this, and you're like, what? A whole news report? And he says he's Pastor, Pastor Rick Hawkins. This identity is not true. The devil is a, a lie. I know I'm Rick Hawkins. My mama told me. And it just changes your whole day. And you're like, how could people do this? How do you have time to do this? All of you watching me now, because I know y'all watching now after that news report. Listen to me, ladies. If you have not seen me in the flesh, shaking my hand and talk to me, do not send money to pictures. Do not send money to people you've never met. I'm, uh, time out. I need to deal with these lawyers for a second. Time out, church. I love y'all. Don't, don't send money to people using pictures. Don't do that. $150 million were spent on scammers last year. 150 million. Some of y'all in here getting some ideas. <laughs> That's the devil. Don't listen to that devil. 
Y'all ruined my day. That's all I'm going to tell y'all. ABC, you ruined my day. And that's all I'm going to tell you. For now. One text. One post. One like. One decision. Can change everything. One stupid decision. Can change your entire life. The Bible says they're with one. And in one. And watch this moment. And suddenly. You know what God told me? That he's about to run a reverse on the devil. I heard it in prayer this morning. Here's what I'm telling you. At some point in this game today that some people are going to watch, there's going to be a suddenly. It's called a momentum shift. Are y'all hearing me? Suddenly, something's going to happen that's going to cause the whole momentum of the game to shift from one side to the other side. It's a suddenly. Suddenly here in the Greek means unexpectedly, hidden, out of nowhere, it happened. Hmm. God is good. Can I tell you the devil's been running, running us up the rail? Some of y'all older folks know what that means. For the last two years, he's been running God's people up the rail. But here's what I'm going to tell you. God is about to pull a move on the enemy. Watch this. Here's what I heard the Holy Ghost tell me. I'm not only going to do what you expected me to do. I'm going to do something you didn't even expect to happen. I need 10 people to give him praise right there. I'm going to do something you didn't expect to happen. I need somebody to shout suddenly. And I believe that's what God is about to do to the church. He's about to drop a moment out of heaven into earth. He's about to drop a moment out of heaven into earth. A moment is not a minute. A minute is 60 seconds. A moment is an experience. A moment is an encounter. A moment is when God shows up and blows your natural mind. And I believe God is about to do a suddenly for the people of God. If you stay with the game plan, something has to break open. It's called obedience. Everyone say obedience. Obedience presents opportunity. Luke 40, 24, 49, Jesus told the disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, Jesus repeats what he says, and he says, wait for the promise of the Father, and you shall be endued with power from above. Lord, have mercy. All we have to do is run the route. All we have to do is do what he said. All we have to do is be obedient. And if we're consistently obedient, at some point in time, God pulls us suddenly. At some point in time, a moment is grasped. A moment is caught. We step into our moment. And when we step into that moment, moment is the root word for momentum. Moment and movement form the word momentum. People that are not moving never catch moments. If you are not moving in God, moments can come down and you don't know it. You could have 30 people in the altar in the moment and you standing there wondering what's going on because the moment showed up and you were a spectator and not a participator. And if you want to be in the moment, you have to participate in the moment, which means you have to be at the spot. You have to be involved. You have to find the timing of God. You find the timing of God when you are where you are supposed to be. If they weren't in the locker room, I mean the upper room, they would have missed their moment. Are y'all hearing what I'm telling you? I believe that God is about to drop a moment into the earth for people that recognize it, for people that will receive it. And when you receive this touch from God, it's going to give you movement and momentum in your life. When a team gets momentum, they feel like they are unstoppable. Are y'all hearing what I'm telling you? When a congregation, a church, a group of people catches momentum, you feel like nothing can stop you. Now, for you athletes, you know what I'm talking about. And it's contagious. 
One guy gets a breakaway play, and the whole bench is up. Now everyone's excited because one somebody got a breakthrough. When you get unselfish enough to stop believing for your own breakthrough, and you start believing for the breakthrough of somebody else, then their breakthrough is contagious to the entire congregation. Look at somebody and nod at them and tell them, I'm praying you the playmaker. I'm praying that you are the one that breaks open momentum on this team. I need about 20 people to give God praise right there because if God can do it for one of us, he can do it for all of us. You can sit down. I'm going to be done here. I'm going to tell you two quick stories and I'm out. So anybody remember Pistol Pete Maravich? He has something to do with the purple and gold. Pistol Pete. Pistol Pete Maravich averaged 44 points a game in college before there was a three-point line. No telling what he would average if there was a three-point line. That record's never been broken. He averaged that for four straight years. 44 points a game. That's a lot of points. I never got to see Old Pistol play in college. Missed out on that. Right in my hometown. But he went to the Hawks. The Hawks traded him to the Jazz. And I got a call one day from a businessman saying, I got floor seats to the Jazz. I said, is Pistol hurt? He said, no. I said, I'm going. So I go to watch Pistol Pete play. For the Jazz. Guess who they playing? The Hawks. In the third quarter, they were down by 22 points. And I'm thinking, come on, Pistol. You ain't got but like 12 points. Do your thing, Mr. Man. Pistol comes out and he gets on fire. And you can hear everybody screaming, feed him, feed him. He wasn't missing anything. Left hand, right hand, it didn't matter. He turned that game around. They came back and won that game by 15 points. He had 30-something points in a quarter and a half. The crowd was going crazy. The bench was going nuts. You know what I'm looking for at Quest Church? Pistol Pete. I just want to know who's going to decide we're about to turn this thing around. And I'm going to be the one. I'm tired of missing. I'm fixing to start nailing these shots. Anybody with me right now? I'm fixing to start nailing these shots. Everyone say momentum. It took Pete to cause it to shift. It might take you to cause it to shift in your family. See, in your family, there could be a momentum going the wrong direction. And all it takes is one in the family to say, no, we're not going down like that. I'm going to turn this thing around in Jesus' name. Are y'all in the building here? Now watch this here. I've got one other story for you. I remember starting our church in San Antonio in 1993. I remember I went to the first service and there was 85 people there. The second Sunday I went back and we grew to 60 people. I went back the next Sunday and we grew to 40 people. And I thought, well, this is the 40. And in my mind, I didn't care if it was 40 or 4,000. I was going to preach like I was preaching to 15,000 people. That's what my mentors taught me to do, and that's what you give your best when you come to this pulpit. Amen. So I just start preaching. God starts moving. By 1997, we had to move into another building because we had about 600 people in four years. Are you hear what I'm telling you? So when we opened that building, we had the worst rainstorm in San Antonio in 10 years. It rained 12 inches. And I'm going to church on that morning thinking, thank you, God. That's real cool of you to let it flood on our first day in our new building. And that new building said about 700 people. I drove up in the parking lot 
There is people standing in the rain all the way to the street. There was 1,400 people in the first service. That church started growing. It grew 33% a year for 10 straight years. Then by the time from 97 we moved into the new building, we had to sell it and move all the way to the interstate and bought a whole amusement park. And that building sat about 1,400 people. And I remember driving there the day we opened up and I thought, Lord, please just let it look full. <laughs> well, people were parked all the way down the interstate on the side of the road. All the roads were filled with cars. And there was 3,600 and something people at the first service. Are y'all hearing what I'm telling you? And then that church kept growing. Got up to almost 5,000 people, four services on Sunday. I look back in that, at that and I think, I hear about revivals all over the nation. We were in a 12-year revival. Watch this, that would not stop. We were having four services on Sunday and a Wednesday and a Thursday service. We were having six services a week and the building was packed out every service. People were getting saved by the droves. People were getting restored. And it dawned on me. Momentum. And when we caught it, we didn't take our foot off the gas. When we caught it, we pressed the gas to the floor. And we said, we're going to burn out before we rust out. We are going to have church until we can't hardly walk no more. And that's all we did. And we saw a whole city turn upside down because one church said, we are going to catch a moment and we're going to ride that moment till the wheels fall off. Here's what concerns me. Last Sunday in this church, you can't have better church than that. I'm sorry. Some of y'all already forgot it. All right, I'm going to go ahead and pastor for a minute. Because here's what happens. The Bible says when Samuel spoke between Dan and Beersheba, none of his words fell to the ground. Well, if they didn't fall to the ground, then where did they fall? They fell in people's hearts, and people talked about the word. And the people carried the word in the atmosphere because the atmosphere is controlled by your speech. And people would talk about the word of Samuel until it invaded the atmosphere. Here's where I'm concerned. I know how much I study. I know how much I pray. But when I get on social media, I don't see none of y'all saying nothing about a word we preached here last Sunday on there's one in every crowd. You don't say nothing because you're too concerned about your political stance. Are you rebuking us, Pastor Rick? No, I'm just telling you. Man, I got a job here. I can just come up here and preach. I can go to the bookstore and buy little books. Come up here and open them little books. Preach you a little sermon. Tell you a little cute little poem. Let you go home. And I will lay in a bed of rocks. I ain't never bought a sermon. I ain't never preached out of a book. Everything I've ever preached was born out of prayer was born out of my own study. I've never preached another man's sermon ever in my life have I done that. And I'm wondering why can't a people get up underneath a word and carry that word until that word causes momentum in people's lives, until people, how can we not still be celebrating there's one in every crowd? There's one leper in every crowd and all he had to do was worship and when he worshiped, he was made clean. How can you not go tell somebody? My pastor said if you just worship God God will make you clean. If you just bring your leprosy to the house of God, God will make you clean. I know you got a spot. We all got a spot. If you just bring it in worship, God will make you clean. Let me help you. Quest has not been built and will never be built on programs. It's not going to happen, y'all. It's not going to be built on little cute kids stuff and little cute youth stuff and little single meetings. Not going to happen. I'm not building a church like that. I'm convicted about this. 
If this church is built, it will be built on the word of God, the preached word of God. Not some book reading, not some playing games on the platform. Well, I'm glad I got about 30 people that are with me right now. Listen, if you want momentum, get a word. If you want momentum, catch a moment. If you want momentum in your life, don't let altar times where God is moving pass you by and you're not even interested. God stirs the water every Sunday. You have no excuse about there's no man to help me in. Jesus himself is here asking you, do you want to be made whole? If you want to be made whole, you don't need another stirred emotion. You need to grab your moment, throw your mat down, and walk away and live this thing out. Let's everybody jump on our feet and give God a high praise in this building. Come on, let's give God a high praise. Come on, open your mouth and praise him. Somebody open your mouth and worship him. Let the people of God clap your hands, all ye people, and shout to God with a voice of triumph. Praise will open up heaven. Praise will open up heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. People will gravitate to places where they feel happy, healthy, and whole. People will gravitate to places where they feel happy, healthy, and whole. I encourage you, find that place. Find that place. Find that church that when you leave there, you're happy you went. Find that church that when you leave there, you feel spiritually healthy. Find that place that when you leave there, you are convicted if you are not made whole. That you want to be whole body, soul, and spirit. Father, help us to catch the moment. Help us to be the shift in the atmosphere. Help us to be the change in our family. Help us to bring revival to this region. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Would you lift your hands, please? Father, we ask you to forgive us for bringing our own agendas to your auditorium. Help us to follow you. Help us to catch the moment in Jesus' name. Guys, I'm going to give this service to Pastor Josh, and I want to say something to you before I go, just to pastor you for one more moment. I love you with all my heart. When you see me leave this building, I've got a baby at home, and I'm not hugging people, so don't be offended by that. I've got a baby at home. And I'm not going to be hugging on people. So don't think that I'm acting like I'm all that because I get through preaching and go to the office. I'm not trying to be. But I am trying to protect my child. And so I don't want you to be like Pastor Rick thinks he's all that. He gets through preaching. He just goes to the office and he just leaves. That's what I'm going to do until I feel safe about my baby. That's what I'm going to do. And, hey, I love you guys. And if you feel a little challenged today, you know, I just feel like church today ain't about challenging people. It's about making you feel good. You know, you got a ton of placating preachers that pat you on the back and tell you, you know, you're all that. Listen, man, what happened to the apostles' anointing? What happened to the Bible? What happened to opening the Bible and reading a text and preaching the Bible to people? If I'm old-fashioned, then give me a wheelchair. Give me a rocking chair. Give me a cane. Give me an old Cadillac. I'm cool with it. Because I'm not changing from preaching the word of God. I'm just not going to do it. Are y'all hearing me today? Amen. Do you love Jesus Christ with all your heart? Is Jesus Lord of all? Come on, y'all. Give Jesus some praise here.